If you're looking for a quality Kickstarter marketing specialist, I recommend the folks over at Next Level Web. They charge flat fees with an easy monthly agreement and they get serious results. Their goal is to get you funded on day one, and their rate of success for that is above 90%, regardless if you're a veteran or a first-time creator. As a client myself, I can personally attest to their quality as they have helped me raise tens of thousands of dollars for my own projects. So if your email list looks pitiful, but your game is awesome, head on over to nextlevelweb.com kickstarter and take your marketing to the next level. Hosting for the Board Game Design Lab podcast is sponsored by Quartermaster Logistics, the leader in crowdfunding fulfillment and warehousing. Check them out at qmlogistics.com. Welcome to the Board Game Design Lab podcast, a proud member of the Dice Tower Network. Each week, we want to bring you an insightful interview on a specific topic in board game design to help you design and create games people love. And now, here's your host, Gabe Barrett. What's up, my friends? Welcome to the Board Game Design Lab. Today, we're talking about set collection. What does it look like to design a game where you take some things from over here, take some things from over there, put them all together, maybe score some points, maybe do some other things? And we're talking to a guy who's designed a ton of set collection games, Steve Finn from Dr. Finn's Games. Steve, welcome to the show. Hi, thanks for having me, Gabe. Yeah, man, really excited to have you here. You've actually been on my list of people to interview for a very long time. So glad it has finally uh, happened, and we're here to talk about something that I feel like you know a lot about. I was going through your list of design uh, designed games on Board Game Geek, and it was just game after game after game that had set collection in it, and you've designed tons of games with really interesting themes and all sorts of really cool stuff as far as this genre of game. And so I'm really excited to just dive in. Uh, and talk about it here in a minute. But before we get into that, who are you? How'd you get into game design? All that kind of thing. All right. Yeah. Well, uh, I am uh, Steve Finn, of course. I'm the owner of Dr. Finn's Games, and the doctor title comes from my PhD in philosophy. So I am actually a philosophy professor, a faculty developer at at an institution nearby. And um, maybe in my 30s, I I discovered... Um, you know, Euro games and these kind of newer strategy games. I, I grew up in a family. I got a couple brothers and a sister, and we played games when I was a kid, but, you know, the typical American games. In my 30s, I think it was, I was living in Seattle and just happened to start playing Risk again with some friends, and then I walked into a board game store um, and just saw all these cool games, and I bought Michael Schacht, he's the one who made Zularetto, but I bought a game called, uh, I think, yeah, uh, Web of Power, which has now seen many different versions and different themes. I think the most recent one was China, or there's even another one out. But I just love that game. My friends and I played it a ton, and then I just started going to the board game store even more and buying other games. Um, But that was it. You know, I got got hooked uh, on, on strategy games, and it was just uh, a lot of fun. And I just at one point I said, I I think I could try making one myself. And so that endeavor uh, led to what is called uh, Biblios, which was published by Yellow. Uh, But I started my company as a independent game company. I actually made physical copies of Biblios. Back then I called it Scripts and Scribes and I packaged them in a VHS case some people who might not who might be listening don't might not even know what a VHS case is. They'll have to look <laughs> it up. 
right? Um, so I packaged it in VHS. I, I bought a, a Kluge letterpress, which is, again, if you don't know what a, a letterpress is, look it up. It's this like big machine with heavy wheels and machinery that uh, moves sheets of paper. And I was using it to die cut cards. So I made like 50 copies of the game. I discovered Board Game Geek around this time, and I sent out a few copies to some reviewers. One person loved the game. Stormseeker75 was his, uh, you know, his handle there on Board Game Geek. And he just loved the game, and then other people wanted the game. And so I made another couple hundred, and I slowly just started selling the game. Somehow one of these copies made it out to France, and Yellow, and this is a not not well known, I fact, I don't think, but Yellow's first game was Biblios, and they contacted me, uh, and they said, we're getting into game publishing, and we we want to publish your game. So I didn't even pitch it. I didn't even try. I had no idea what was, you know, it was just, I was doing my own thing. Um, and then later, so after my name got out there, because of the success of Biblios, I started to try to make my own games uh, again, but this time I was using Kickstarter. You know, I discovered Kickstarter. I had one self-published game before Kickstarter, but then I started using Kickstarter, I don't know, 15, 20 years ago, something like that, or however long ago it was. I don't even know. Maybe it was 10 years ago. And uh, so now I've been I've published, you know, I've had over 20 Kickstarter, successful Kickstarter campaigns. And that's basically the the origin story of my company. Gotcha. So what you're saying is you're the man that launched the yellow board gaming empire. I I may well have <laughs> done that. Yes. Or I helped launch it. That's right. You were on the you ground know. floor of the foundation. <laughs> yes, exactly. I think King of Tokyo might have been their game that really took off. I don't think Biblios was the thing that, that put them on the map. You don't have to be humble. It's fine. You can say, yeah, I'm the guy. <laughs> That's it's right. not Richard Garfield and, and one of the most beloved dice rolling uh, you know, Yahtzee-style games of all time. It was Biblios. And we can just live in that world. Uh, it is a great game, though. Biblios is, is just an excellent game. It's still around where people are playing it to this day. Um, and so it's, it's just a really cool design. And it involves set collection. And I definitely want to dive into that. Um, but before we get into it, you have designed so many games. Let, uh, uh, can I interrupt for one second, Gabe? Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. Let me just interrupt. Yeah, sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt, but... Let me just do one plug, too, because Biblios has now been rethemed, and a lot of people don't realize that, and the game just came out this year. It's called For the King and Me, and it now has uh, five players with second-place scoring. Awesome. And which company published that one? That's Yellow. Yellow has, oh. has rethemed it. They got new artwork. It's a theme of now about a, you know pleasing a child's king. There you go. As opposed to collecting ancient books in the library. And it's probably pretty smart to go, you know what, let's just take a game that came out some years ago, throw a new theme on it and publish it again. And uh, that's what Hollywood does. And so I, I think that's a pretty good strategy. And so I hope it does really well. And uh, that, yeah, that, that's awesome that you continue to build the yellow board gaming empire. And uh, hopefully they uh, compensate you accordingly. But uh, before we get into set collection, I want to chat a little bit about your general design process because you have designed so many games. Do you have any tips and tricks, anything that that you've kind of like honed in over the years to say, hey, here's just uh, some basic general advice, and then we'll dive into the actual set collection topic. Yeah, um, you know, I I design primarily lighter kind of, they're not necessarily, they're called filler games for a lot of people, but I try to think that filler doesn't do them justice um, because that makes it sound like they're not very meaty in any way. But so I design a lot of short games. So for me, for people who are, designing long games, I don't have as much advice. 
but I mean, maybe it's always, I mean, it's always about play testing and streamlining for me because I just don't like, I really don't like extraneous things in games. I try to limit it as much as possible, try to cut down on any exceptions to rules, try to make things very simple, um, you know, with regard to scoring and with regard to the rule set so that there's just, it's very streamlining. So I I always just try to tell people like, try to, try to make a game, make it meaty, but then just start cutting stuff. Just figure out what's, how can you make this experience go more quickly or just more smoothly? Like even if it's a a, a massive game that takes a long time, like, you know, playing a Stefan Feld game for, that's not even a massive game, but like playing an hour and a, ha- a half game, you know, make the rules structure fairly simple with, with regard to what you can do on your turn. Just not too many options, um, but enough options that you have to think about it. So it's streamlining. Try to streamline. I guess that's always my my advice. What can you do to make this game less complicated <laughs> uh and complicated might be the right word but i don't know if you know what i'm getting at yeah i know exactly what you're saying and the question i often run into with my own game designs is this interesting versus better situation where i'm looking at something I'm like oh this is a really cool idea i can add a rule here add like a little thing here it's like that's super interesting it's going to give the player more choices or you know it's going to create some kind of experience in the game they have to step back and go yeah but does it make the game better because you're now you're adding one more thing but does it make the game better? And if it doesn't make the game better, then why am I adding it? And so that's constantly the question I'm asking myself is like, okay, that would be fun. That would be cool, but does it make the game better? And if it doesn't, then I probably need to cut it. And I probably need to go through and cut everything else that doesn't make the game necessarily better. Am I doing it just for me? Because I think it's cool. I think it's interesting, but is it actually going to make the game an overall better product? And so that's something I, I run into a lot. And I like that you, you talk about complexity, but not necessarily, uh, the, you're right. The word filler does get thrown around sometimes as like a negative, you know, with a negative connotation. Really, it's just short games that you can pack a ton into a small box into a short amount of time if you have streamlined it all the way down and you give players really good choices, but you don't give them an infinite, you know, number of things. And so I think that's a really good way to, to, to look at it. And probably something we're going to talk about more of here in just a minute with set collection. And let's let's go ahead and get into that. What would be your maybe definition, like a good working definition of set collection. Like if somebody never heard of that type of game, what would you tell them it is like to describe it? Uh, well, if they've never played any games at all, I mean, it's just um, what you're trying to accomplish is collecting either, it's usually either types, the same types of things or different types of things. So whatever the theme of the game is, let's say it's collecting flowers, Right. There are flowers that could be similar in a certain way, and there could be flowers that are different in a certain way. And so um, the way I look at set collection then is just collect, you know, like I'm collecting sets, <laughs> right? I mean, it's, it's in the name. So it's pretty straightforward, um, you know, and there's, I think a lot of the challenge in set collection games often comes in like how, how you're going to go about collecting things. What are the mechanisms that's going to be involved? Because the set collection itself is fairly straightforward and there's there's now been a lot of because there's so many games out there you know the scoring mechanisms of set collection seems to be like there's kind of standard choices for um the way sets are scored so 
you know, I guess, is there a new way, you know, I sometimes think, is there some new way that I could create uh, some different kind of set collection mechanic? Yeah. Now, what are what are some of those standard ways of scoring real quick, just so people are well, like, so, for example, like you could say the first card, you know, it could just be one point per card. It could be or whatever you're collecting, you know, say one point per item. Another one could be the I forget what it's called. Maybe, you, you know, but it's like the triangular relationship where the first one's worth one. The second one is worth two. The next one's worth three. The next one after that is worth four. And then five, and so so they incrementally, uh, you know, they increase by one each time. Uh, there's also the doubling each time, so the squaring model. So the first one's one, the next one's two, the next one's four, the next one's sixteen, um, and so forth. So um, yeah, there's also like um, the the one that minimize that starts to minimize. So you maximize. To, so like the first three that you collect are worth more. And then you start, so if you get, say, one and then two and then three, then the next one, the fourth one, goes back down to two, and then it goes down to one, and then every one after that is one. So it starts to minimize the return on investment, you know, after a certain number. Um, you know, or if you collect too many, you can start get, even getting penalized, like in, uh, for, you know, people who know Zuloretto or games like that. You're trying to collect certain sets, but if you collect too many sets, then you're you've diversified too much and you're being penalized for it. Yeah, definitely. There are so many ways of doing it. And honestly, if we think about it, set collection is really one of the oldest mechanisms for board games. You can go all the way back to Monopoly and you were collecting sets. I mean, you're collecting these these sets of you know of real estate and trying to get your opponents to land on them or hoping that they, they would. Luckily, you're not really trying to do anything. But anyway, <laughs> hopefully they would land on your set and you wouldn't land on theirs and have to pay all this extra money. And so, I mean, this mechanism has been around for a long time and people still love it. They still gravitate towards these games. Why do you think that is? What is it about set collecting that just draws us in as gamers? Oh, I don't know. I mean, there some psychologists might say that we're collectors. You know, <laughs> we we like to store and collect things. There's something about it's orderly. I have no idea, though. I'm only speculating. You know, there would be, you know, I think you know we we collect stuff. We, people, human beings, like to have things, and a lot of humans, especially game players, you know, we like to have. A lot of people like to have kind of order. So I don't know if you ever notice sitting around a table, people who like me might be fiddling around, but stacking their chips in nice little orders and things like that. And I don't know, there's maybe a sense of creating order out of chaos, but again, this is just pure speculation. I have no, I really don't know. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. But I think you're onto something. I think there's definitely something about us just innate as humans that we do enjoy collecting things. And as gamers, we tend to collect games. And if you go into a gamer's uh, living room or his game room, you, you see a big, a wall of games that they hopefully uh, are getting to the table at least once. Uh, some people not not as not as uh, often as they would probably like. But I tell you what, we should we should probably get a game that is about collecting random things and putting it in a cabinet. We could call it the whatnot cabinet. I think that would be a cool idea for a game. Oh wait, you did that, didn't? Isn't that a game you made? Oh yeah, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yes, I did. That's uh, with the help of uh, Eduardo Baraf of um, Pencil First Games. And so that was one of many collaborations that I've now done with that company. Yeah. And it's kind of a meta idea, right? You're set collecting, but you're like collecting things from the real world. It's a very interesting kind of meta situation. I'm going to talk about it more in, in just a minute. But what draws you 
to these games to keep designing them. So we talked about why maybe people like them. Why do you like them as from, you know, as a game designer? Um, again, I, you know, I don't, I don't really know. It could be just, um, I mean, in one, it's, they're easy to make. They're kind of, you know, like they're familiar. Um, it's, I am a, a mechanics driven, pretty much mechanics driven designer. I don't start usually with the theme, but I just try to think of different mechanics and then try to mix them in new ways, you know, or like I steal mechanics all the time from other people, uh, but then maybe add my own stamp to it. Um, and then the idea would be just like, how can, I don't know, I, I, I guess I don't know why I'm drawn to set collection games, to be honest. I just think that it might be like just something that I'm good at, like, and it's something that just seems to come naturally to me. Um, but it's also the kinds of games that I play. But I've never actually thought personally, why why do I make so many set collection games? Um, and I don't, yeah, it's, so I'm sorry, I don't really have an answer. I don't have an answer about why I like it. I know that there, it gives me a, a reference point. And when I design games, I often just say, all right, what kind of game am I going to make? And if I say, all right, well, it's going to be set collection, but then I'll, obviously it's not just a set collection game. I have to add in some other mechanics as well. Yeah, that makes sense. But I, I think, honestly, going back to what you said a moment ago, if you're good at it, I think that's a really good reason to do most things. Uh, I, I played certain sports growing up because I was really good at them and not any good at others. You know, <laughs> So I think that makes a lot of sense. If you kind of feel drawn towards a certain mechanism because you get it, it's familiar to you, you understand it, you're good at it, then why not just keep making more? Is it also a bit of a challenge as well? Because there are so many set collection games. They have been around for a long, long time. It's now a pretty decent challenge to stand out and create something new, have a new scoring system, have a new way of collecting things. Is that maybe also part of it? It's, it's like a challenge to create something that hasn't quite been done before or putting a twist on something? Well, to be honest, I, I, I don't think of it as doing something that hasn't been done before. Uh, everything that I've done has been done before by someone. And I mean, maybe it's just a the different combination. I mean, I mean, maybe there's some really small minor twist that I've added to something. Um, but I don't try to be original. That's not what I'm trying to do because I think originality is somewhat overrated. Um, the thing to me that as a publisher of games, what I'm beginning to recognize is that the success of games doesn't necessarily revolve around the design. It has to be a solid design and it has to have some, you know, it has to have an interesting combination of mechanics, um, Maybe if there's some brand new mechanic as well, then um, then yes, you know, like that that could be the thing that stands someone out, stands a game out. But then someone could come along, take that same mechanic, you know, and then make make a better game out of it. I mean, I don't know which came first. For example, with like card drafting, um, is that Seven Wonders, Sushi Go, or were those the most popular? Do you happen to know? <laughs> Yeah, I have no idea, honestly. You know, like what, what what was the first game that had, you know, take a card, choose one, and then pass the rest, right? Someone came up with that and they were original. But was that first game a good game? Uh just because it was original. So I, you know, to be honest, I don't try, I really don't strive for originality. Uh what I really strive to do is just put things together in a new way, in a new package that just can make it interesting. Because at their heart, I mean, 
all these games that we play are very similar to each other. And uh, at least my opinion is this, is that, you know, a new game can come along or I could try a new game. It's just, it's really interesting the way they put it into the theme, the artwork. It's the whole package that really, in a sense, sells the game and the presentation of it. Um, yeah, because it's actually, the, as the designer of games, when I have them published by other people, what's funny to me is like, I actually don't think the games that are more successful of mine are better as far as game designs goes. I just think that the person, the company, did a better job than I would have done packaging the game, doing the artwork, and all of that. So I, you know, the originality might come in in the way the artwork and the presentation and all of that. I think very few games are highly original with regard to a game mechanic or a game design. Uh, if you take any game out there, you could say, oh, this is from that game, and that's from that game, and that's from that game. And, you know, that's that's really all we're doing. <laughs> we're making very minor tweaks as we go along. Um, but so many games are just doing very similar things. Right. I totally agree. And I also definitely agree that originality is pretty overrated. Um, and honestly, you have to be careful maybe to not be the very, very first, because a lot of times when you're first creating something that no one's ever heard of or seen before, they don't get it. They don't understand. It doesn't make sense to them. And the first person typically isn't the one that gets known forever as being the, you know, related to that, uh, that type of thing. I, it goes all the way back with inventions and, and all sorts of stuff, not, not just in gaming, but everywhere, every aspect of life. The first person to come up with something, probably not the one that gets remembered most for whatever that thing is. And I think that's just <laughs> right. something just to be aware of. Um, and now, obviously, you want to create something that is interesting and that, you know, maybe put a, a little twist on it. You don't want to just copy paste. But, yeah, to not worry too much about being totally original. Oh, this, and that's also something that's kind of a red flag. I'll see new designers especially. They'll say, oh, this game is, is never – there's never been any game like this. It's going to be the best thing since Monopoly. It's like, okay, you – probably don't actually know what you're doing. And so it's a bit of a red flag when people start saying, oh, there's never been anything like this. It's like, that's eh, probably not true. And so if you ever find yourself thinking that, people who are listening to this, uh, step back and go, maybe I just haven't seen enough things. Maybe I haven't done enough research, played enough games to realize, oh, there's lots of these. Because it's very hard to come up with something that's uh, new nowadays. Uh, everything has been has been done. <laughs> well, I'll, I'll just add to that too, because sometimes I do pitch my games to other publishers. Um, and that kind of sometimes irks me when they ask me, well, how is this game going to stand out? <laughs> because I'm like, well, because it's a solid game and you're going to make it stand out. It's the publisher's job to make <laughs> it stand out yep. with regard to the component choices, the artwork and all of that. That's what does it. It's you just need a solid game that's interesting. Um, and then you can make it into something that's a lot better. Um as far as a product goes, a product to sell, um, you know, I don't know. I don't know if they agree with me or not. And maybe that's why I don't have a lot of games published with other people <laughs> because <laughs> I also don't even try really to pitch it too much. And it, that's part of the frustrating part of this business. So for those people who are designing games, I mean, this is just one of those things like you have to make a decision. Do you pitch a game or not? Are you going to try to self-publish or not? And um, I know we're going off the topic here of set collection, but it is just very challenging because, you know, like even after publishing so many games, I, I'll send an email to a company and, 
ask for a time to pitch a game and I, I literally won't get any response back like nothing radio silence and uh i can't imagine what it's like for people who are just starting so i say hang in there be persistent and keep going <laughs> right and it's so good to know that that happens to people like you who have designed and published a ton of games and had some really successful games as well that that radio silence happens to you as well as the rest of us you know and so that that's actually good to know that we're all kind of in this together it's also uh, it, it it sucks to know that we're all in this together. Yeah, right. <laughs> that it is, it is <laughs> what it is. But anyway, oh man. But um, anyway, moving back to uh, sex collection, we talked about the whatnot cabinet a moment ago. Let, yes. Let's talk about that one. Let's get into some of your specific games and games that stand out in your mind, the mechanisms and things like that. So, so you already mentioned that one. Let's dive back into it. How does it work? How does the set collection work? What are, what are some things that stand out in your mind about that game? Sure. Well, this is a very simple game. Um, and uh, again, it's the mechanics. I, I kind of took a little bit from King Domino. So for people who are familiar with King Domino, or even if you're not, um, on each turn, right, you choose a tile. And the tile that you choose will determine your turn order for the next round. So if you choose a, a better tile that will, have, say, have more, give you more points and has more features on it, more things that you're collecting, that will mean in the next round you will uh, have a, a worse turn order. So it has a, a mechanism like that where each person is basically taking a turn, and, and every turn what you're going to be doing is collecting two items that are you know um, out in the world. So you're uh, thematically what you're doing is going out into the outdoors and you're picking up these very nice, attractive little artifacts that you might find. And then you're putting them in your cabinet and your cabinet is a three by four grid of uh, squares. And each tile is a square piece that you would fit into your grid. And uh, the artwork is unbelievable. See this, what sells this game too, is I think uh, in addition, hopefully to the great mechanics is the, um, the art by Beth Sobel. But she makes these really beautiful little, you know, like objects that you might find, little stones, little bottles, uh, little, you know, sculpted animals, etc. And they have two main features, right? They have a type and then they have a color. And what you're trying to do in your cabinet is arrange uh, the items by color going um, down, so there's there's three rows, uh, sorry, there's four rows, three columns. So with the columns, what you're concerned with is color. So in each color, you're in each column, you're trying to either get all of the same color or everyone is a different color. If you get something like two of the same color and two different, then you don't score. And and it's harder, of course, to get all of the same color, so you score more points for that. But then going across in the rows, you're trying to you're concerned with the type of objects, and you're either trying to get all of the same type in a row, or three different unique types of things. Um, so that it's a very puzzly game. So it has the turn order thing from like King Domino. It has a puzzle-like aspect of people who like Sagrada, but it's done in a much quicker way. So um, than both of those games, like this is a a 15 to 20 minute game. It also uh, has, um, you know, these objective cards that are variable. So you pick like three or four, I can't remember the exact number of objective cards each game. 
and people are trying to accomplish those quickly, but they're a different objective card. So you're, you're trying to do different things in each of the different games based upon what objectives are out there. And again, I, that would be for people who are familiar with um, Kingdom Builder, right? So like in Kingdom Builder, and, but I don't know, was that the first one that had that mechanism? I don't know, right? So those are the familiar mechanisms that you might have um, that, you might, that you might already know. So it's basically, I choose an action and the action is some variety of taking tiles. It could be, you know, like the, the best action is uh, there's some tiles that are face up that I could choose from. And the best action is I could swipe them all away if I don't like any of them and, and draw new ones. Like another action is to draw one random one and take one of the face-up ones. And that's like the worst thing that you could do. Um, so the, basically, the later you go in turn order for the next round, the kind of the better action you get this round to give you the better choice of, of the items that you're trying to collect. So that's the whatnot cabinet in a, in a nutshell. So one thing I'm always curious about with, with these kinds of games, especially set collection or, or games where you're, you're taking from a, and a bunch of options, is how many options? And so tell me your experience of what you've run into, maybe with Whatnot Cabinet, maybe with some other games that you've designed in that are set collecting, set, set collecting games, as far as having too many, having too few, too many colors, not enough colors. Too, you know, tell me about the, the numbers. Like, have you found something that works? Like, you don't want to go over six, or you don't want to have it under four. Like, anything like that that people can take is like practical advice that might help with their own games? I think it's context-dependent upon what, what the other things are that's going on in a game. Um, you know, I, let's see, I'm thinking of like, uh, usually if I think about these games, like Herbaceous has, I think six different types of, six different types of herbs. The whatnot cabinet has, you know, five different types of objects, but five different colors, right? Floriferous, I think has five or six different flower types. But then there's always like, in addition to those types of things, there's, there's sometimes like another set, another like thing that you can collect. Like, for example, in the whatnot cabinet, it's a set collection that there's the main objects are colors, you know, have colors and types. But then in addition to the main objects, there's a secondary object, these little crowns that are on some of the cards that just basically give you a bonus point. So they make... Um, they just add like one more little thing in there that can make you, uh, think about it. And like in Floriferous, which is a new game that just, uh, came out recently, uh, another pencil first game that I did with them, um, which takes the King Domino action selection and then puts it into like a vertical, um, in a movement kind of way where you're moving across a landscape of flower cards. But in that game, I have some of the flower cards also have, um, like bugs, butterflies, caterpillars. I don't know if we have a caterpillar, but whatever it is, like little bugs and insects. So that some of the cards gave you just a flower and then others gave you maybe a flower and a bug. So that you can now have two different sets of things. So there's five different flowers, but there's also five different um, of these bugs. So I guess I don't have a magic number. But you have to think about how complicated is the rest of the game? Um, how much of the, you know, like sometimes a set collection is just a part of a game where there's other ways to score other than collecting sets. And sometimes it's the heart of the game. 
And I would think that if it's just a, the heart of the game, you could probably have more. Um, whereas if you're just collecting sets um, as a s- small aspect of scoring, then you'd have fewer. Yeah, that makes that makes a lot of sense. And honestly, let's let's keep traveling down that road because a lot of your games intersect set collection with some other mechanism. I'm reminded of Biblios, which is set collecting, but it's also an auction game. And so you have that whole other mechanism that's kind of interwoven with collecting these different sets of things. And so tell me about that. How do you how do you kind of figure out that good place of intersection when it comes to mechanism X and set collecting? You know, I, I I do a lot of my design, I think, just at this point, I've made so many games, it's almost, I might be unconscious, <laughs> a lot of my decisions. <laughs> you know, and sometimes, like, I, I get into a puzzle where I'm like, oh, this just doesn't, something just doesn't feel right, and I can't articulate what it is. But I would say, I would say that it depends, I think, in part on how integral the set collection aspect is. Um you know, in a game like Biblios, right, the set collection is the is a main part, but the other main part of it is the changing values of the sets. So, um, like, that's actually another thing we I actually didn't even throw out there. Like, I talked about the different kinds of sets that you could have, but in in Biblios, right, you're collecting suits of cards. Essentially, they're like suits of cards. And you don't know the value of what they're going to be like at the end of the game. So um, here's another way to value a set. Uh, so then the question is, you know, what are the other mechanisms that have to go in that will, how, how often can they change the set? Um, you know, is there a way if I've collected a lot of something that I could still use, the, you know, and that value of that set goes down that I could still use one of the things I've collected um, in some way, even if it's even for a marginal amount, I think that's an important, this is a really important part, I think, of game design these days, where you always feel like you got something from it. So the way that I think that this would work with set collections is, even if you got something, it should, you should always be able to either get some minor amount of points from it, or if, if it doesn't have a lot of value, you should be able to do something with it to like trade it in to get something else that could help you gain even more points. Because um, there's nothing like having a turn where you do all this stuff, you do your stuff, and then you get nothing at all. Um, I think you always have to have it so that you gain something. I mean, unless it's like a push your luck game where the whole fun of the game is you get nothing or you get a lot. But if it's if it's not really a push your luck and that's like the heart of it, then it's really terrible to have a wasted turn or to collect something that's really meaningless. Um, so I always want it to have some sort of meaning. Right. That makes a lot of sense. And let's keep talking about that. How do you figure out the scoring system? Is it just uh, you, you try something at first and see if it works and then you tweak it? Or, or do you have any best practices as far as like coming up with scoring and, and what players are, are chasing after is it victory points is it, you know any any advice on that right well with set collection it's quite i mean if we're talking still about set collection then it's you know it's i think it's quite easy you just pick one of the one of the ways in which sets score um you know like uh, look around all the different games you know and think about it and if you have some sort of variability of, of scoring the sets then you um you know, you have to play test a lot with those, but like, you know, it's 
it's pretty standard for a lot of set collection games to have it go 1, 3, 6, 10, 15, 21, you know, that number of points there for how many items you collect. Yeah, so I usually start with um, something that's easily known that people already know so they don't have to like refer to a sheet to say, oh, I got five, you know, wh- what is five worth? You know, if it was just some strange thing, like the first one's worth one, the second one's worth two, but the third one's worth five, but then the fourth one is worth four and the fifth one's worth seven, you know, you'd have to have some sheet and you'd have to say, all right, what is this worth? And you'd be constantly trying to figure that out. So if you, I, I, again, I, I, to not keep harping on not being original, but picking a familiar system allows people to more easily grasp it and then pay attention to the game. Um, you know, if you're doing something unique, I don't know, well, like, I don't know if Biblios was unique at the time or not, to be honest, but the idea that this suit of cards is worth five points, but that could become three points by the end of the game or even one point by the end of the game. Um, you know, you have to make sure that everybody can see that and it's not some dramatic shift that all of a sudden is like, oh, it went from five, you know, where five points is a lot, where it went from five down to two, you know, and then the whole game swings. You know, you don't want to have a game where the point values of things are so dramatically shifting that one move can hugely impact the game and it's like whoa you went from you know you went from having 25 points down to two uh you don't want to have big swings like that i don't think it's it's unpredictable so i think the predictability so that people who you know like to strategize but then also maybe there's a little bit of luck in something but you know you want to be able to to already know when you're playing the game kind of relative values of things um of course, you, you know, you want to explore games and maybe you'll discover that things that you thought originally were valuable turned out to be even more valuable or less valuable. But part of the fun of playing a game is discover the different values of things. But if they're, if they're unpredictable, then it's not fun. Or if it's not something you're familiar with, then, it's, then it, you're spending a lot of your cognitive load just trying to keep in mind what the different things are worth rather than just say, oh, I know this is like... I know that these double every time I get one. So these are really good. Um, you know, I played a set collection game yesterday, Cascadia. You know, it's very not, it's very good. And um, that was interesting because, you know, each game that, that you collect sets of animals and in each game, they have different animal set collection cards that tell you, you know, for this game, the brown bears or whatever they are will score this way. And so they have five different animals and, each one is a little different so that like they picked, I think that, you know, they had the right amount of animals. They have the right amount of different scoring mechanisms. They are all unique scoring methods, but they still kind of make sense. You know, it's like if you get a string of things in a row or for everything that's touching something else, you score. So, you know, they were familiar, but they were different enough that I didn't know right at the start what was going to be the most valuable. Um, and so I had to like discover that through the game. Yeah, very cool. Does anything else stand out in your own game designs? Any of the games we haven't mentioned yet as far as set collecting or maybe you, you found an interesting way to do it or, or something you were just really proud of? Anything along those lines? Yeah, well, what I uh, in Nanga Parbat, I, so I have a game called Nanga Parbat, which is um, 
part of it is set collection, where one way that you could score is you're you're collecting, you're trapping different animals on a mountain. Um, another way that you're scoring is by connecting your hikers into like orthogonally related groups on the board. Um, but while you're putting your hikers up there, you're collecting animals, and the animals can also be used um, to perform different powers. And uh, what I liked about this was a lot in a lot of games, and I don't know, maybe I don't think I got this from other one, but you can either turn things in or use their power. Uh, but in this game, you can use their power, then turn them in for score. But you can also turn them in before you get to use their power. So. Um, like you could be collecting the animals, but you also, at the same time, you get another benefit from the animals, but you also have to turn in the, because you're in a race, in a sense, to collect certain sets of things before your opponent. So you have to make this decision. Do I turn this set in now, even though I haven't used the animal for its particular power, or is there a way that I can use the power and then turn it in? Um, so I was happy with that design decision. Because a lot of times, set collection games where you also have a power, it's like you have to choose one or the other. But this one is you you can do both if you're strategic with it, or you can decide not to do both. And I was so I liked, I don't know, I like that little touch. I don't know if that was one of my little tweaks that I added to, uh, you know, to the game designing <laughs> mechanics world or not. Gotcha. Now, it seems like these games lend themselves to relaxing themes. I feel like a lot of your games have very just kind of calming, relaxing themes about flowers, about, you know, collecting little doodads for your cabinet. And so is there something that just really works well as far as taking a theme that is not super in your face, super, you know, war or, or tension creating and, and mixing it with the set collection? Does it just work out really well? Uh, well, uh, to be honest, I think that this, um, I mean, in some ways, people talk about these some of these games as relaxing, and I, I, I don't think they're relaxing. Like, <laughs> Herbaceous, to me, is not relaxing. I mean, it's relaxing because it has an easy rule set, and the flower, uh, the herbs, not flowers, in this game, it's the herbs, they're very pretty. You know, Beth Sobel's art in this game is just amazing. And so I think it fools you into thinking this is a relaxing game, but I mean, it's to me, it's tense, like damn it, are you going to take those herbs before I take them? Or should I take them now? It's a, There's a very push-your-luck element to it, which is annoying. But at the same time, it's the thing that really drives the whole game. Um, so the, the whole relaxing vibe, I wouldn't necessarily say is a product of me alone. That wasn't... I mean, I did come out... I have one game called The Little Flower Shop that Dr. Finn's Games published. But the the game that really put me on, you know into the world of the pretty flowers game and all of that was herbaceous, which is published by pencil first games, you know, and since herbaceous was made and it was successful, the decision of making these other relax quote, relaxing set collection, pretty games was very intentional, um, by us, by, by Ed and, and me to, you know, in a sense, create a line of games that, again, are familiar so that they're easy to enter into, but that are different enough from each other that there's, they're interesting and it's a new game. Like We're not trying to just build off of Herbaceous and make everything Herbaceous, but the, the idea like, oh, you know what? This, was, this worked out. It, it's 
seems to be a relaxing game. Now, Floriferous, I think, is a little bit more relaxing because you're not in a as an intense push-your-luck set collection game as Herbaceous is. Um, and the Whatnot Cabinet is also very puzzly. Like, it, again, I don't necessarily see that as like a... I guess it's relaxing for people who like puzzles, but for me, like for me to sit there and think about where I want to put something, it's a mental challenge and I'm doing a lot of thinking. And when I have to do a lot of thinking, I'm not necessarily relaxed. Um, So I think it's, I think the people who are saying this is a very relaxing game are being fooled by the artwork and the simplicity of the rule set. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, like we talked about before, a lot of it does come down to the publisher making the product and then kind of creating that experience. And like you said, yeah, exactly. And the art in those games, it suggests that the game is relaxing. And so, yeah, it's almost like people may be getting uh, fooled by the art and the presentation and maybe feel like a game is more relaxing than maybe it really is. But hey, that's that's just part of the experience, right? And so that makes a lot of sense. Well, Steve, this has been excellent. Closing thoughts. What would you tell somebody that is working on a set collecting game? They're, they're trying to figure it out. They're listening to this podcast. and They're like, oh, I've got an idea for one. What would you tell them? Well, number one thing is always you got to play test it, uh, you know, and you want to have a variety of sets usually. Like if it's a pure uh, set collection game, then, you know, look at play a lot of set collection games. <laughs> look around, see what all the mechanics you like, what you don't like. and um, you know, I would say blatantly steal, be, a, you know, like, uh, be a thief, find the things you like, but then try to put them together in a way that's original. Um, you know, don't, don't try to be so original that you're going to make people enter into a game that's completely unfamiliar to them. You know, set collection is a very standard thing. There are standard ways of doing things and the standard ways of doing things are done precisely because they make sense, you know, and uh, the different ways of scoring sets, uh, they make sense. And you can look at all the different things and maybe, uh, who knows, maybe you'll come up with a, a, a good new way to do it that still makes sense. Um, but again, I, I would say variety is, is, a good, is a good thing. So I gave a lot of piece of advice there. <laughs> no, that was great. Uh, well, hey, you got a game up on Kickstarter right now. Tell me about that one. Yeah, so um, I this is the first game in what I'm calling my BYOP series of games. It is a print-at-home game that I'm calling Bring Your Own Pencil. So a lot of print-and-play games have um, the need for other components, like, you know, uh, dice, or you got to cut the cards, or you got to do, you know, you have to add stuff to it, whatever, some other kinds of chits or tokens or whatever. My BYOP series games are strictly, you print out right now, every game that I'm thinking of has three sheets of paper. Each player has their own sheet, and then there's a common sheet, and uh, you fold your sheet to keep your information hidden from the other player, and either both players just have a pencil. Um, so I had to come up with ways to like make random dice rolls with just a pencil. <laughs> so I feel like, uh, or a random randomized game. So the game isn't the same game every time. And so I feel like I've, I've created an interesting, here's where I may have been original with creating this, is I don't know if there's other games out there that are just simply print and plays with no other requirements other than a pencil, uh, but are yet still strategic, you know, like filler games. They're also all very quick. 
uh, or this game, sorry, Mining Colony Duel is very quick. You know, it's like a 10-minute game. It's based off of my board game, Mining Colony, which is a polyomino um, tile placement puzzle-like game where you are, you've sent uh, ships to a faraway planet and you're mining that planet for resources. So um, this is just a, a print-at-home game. I Right now, the world is very challenging for us independent publishers because of changes in the EU rules, but also changes to the world's you know, freight and shipping, uh, which is just crazy. So I decided I would follow the lead of uh, other people on Kickstarter who are doing these print-at-home games. So I, uh, that's what's going on. It's called Mining Colony Duel. And uh, through that Kickstarter, you can also do add-ons of some of my other games uh, for good prices. <laughs> awesome. Well, Steve, really appreciate your time. Really appreciate you joining me here on the show. Good luck with the Kickstarter. Hope it does really well. And good luck with everything else you got going on right now. Thanks so much for having me. It was nice talking to you. Thanks for listening. Hosting for the Board Game Design Lab podcast is sponsored by Quartermaster Logistics, the leader in crowdfunding fulfillment and warehousing. Check them out at qmlogistics.com and find all sorts of game design resources, bonus material, and chances to win free games at boardgamedesignlab.com. And until next time, keep designing, keep playtesting, and keep creating great games. Did I mention keep playtesting?